Welcome to Leap Into Your Story podcast, where you discover your inner story, break down the process, and meet others who've done it so you can leap into your own story. We interview amazing guests who provide powerful insights that inspire you to get your story told. Be sure to visit our website at leapintoyourstory.com, and while you're there, subscribe and like us via your favorite social media network. Now sit back, get ready to take some notes, and let's get started. This episode of Leap Into Your Story podcast is brought to you by Leap Into Your Story course. Visit leapintoyourstory.com where you have a guide to get your story told. I'm Victoria Anderson, and welcome to the Leap Into Your Story podcast discover your inner story, work through the process, and meet others who've done it. We interview amazing guests who provide powerful insights that will inspire you to leap into your own story. Be sure to visit our website at leapintoyourstory.com, and while you're there, subscribe and like us via your favorite social media network. In this episode, we are going to be discussing the gift of past lives. Now, but first, let me give you a little bit of information about my two guests today and their unique relationship. Dr. Dave Bettenhouse presently serves part-time as the Vice President of Medical Affairs in a small Midwestern hospital. He retired after 25 years as a physician and 10 previous years as a cardiac surgical nurse. Carla Bogney Kidd is also retired after 40 years of office managing for Dave and his predecessor. Dave and Carla have had a close relationship since 1998 when Dave purchased the medical practice where Carla was the office manager. Together, they have been on a spiritual journey since the beginning of 2020, 2014, pardon me. I was going to shorten that relationship. <laughs> but they have written four books. The first is The Gift of Past Lives with Mother Isabella God and Elizabeth, and it's a story of how they learned that they have lived 29 past lives together. Other books include Hell No Reincarnation, The Manual, and Her Huba and His Rose. Dave and Carla have taught meditation at various universities and centers and trained with Dr. and Mrs. Brian Weiss at the Omega Institute in Past Life Re so welcome the two of you for joining us today can't wait to dive into uh your story it's a pleasure to meet you victoria thanks for having us yeah absolutely well let's let's tell our this is quite an interesting not only book story relationship so how did this all begin <laughs> Well, really, the, the part that got us to writing this book um, started in 2014. Um, 
I met Carla in 98. We became best friends almost immediately. Uh, she was, has just always been incredibly close to me. But in 2014, uh, we finally started our use of electronic medical records in our office. And it was the most horrible, stressful experience that I'd ever had as a physician. You know, part of being a physician is the hands-on talking face-to-face, -face, being with your patients. Not only was the a completely new system, then I talked to a patient, I walked out, dictated, and went to the next room. It was easy. This was hitting buttons at the same time you're talking to people, getting focused on this, trying to meet all the requirements that the government had. I became incredibly grouchy. Very, very, very crabby. So I gave him an ultimatum and I said, Dave, do you want me to call a counselor? Because, you know, you're very unapproachable. Um, something has to be done. He's normally a cross between Yogi Bear and Fred Flintstone. He was not anymore. <laughs> and then I was reading in AARP magazine about the benefits of meditation. So I, I posed those two scenarios for him. Do you want me to call a counselor or do you want to start meditation in the office? And of course, you know, being a man, uh -huh, yeah. he said, well, let's skip the counselor and um, let's try meditation. Well, you know, before we started to meditate, we did a little bit of research and we found that the benefits to meditation, other than just the meditation, are so vast. I'll let Dave explain that. Yeah. So looking into the meditation and, and part of that is an interesting part of our story, but, you know, we found it lowers blood pressure, lowers blood sugar, decreases anxiety, decreases cortisol, dec decreases depression. For me, I was so stressed. I was quite overweight by that time. And so the first year we meditated, I sort of set a goal. I'd try to lose a couple pounds a week. And at the end of a year, I lost 104 pounds. So I'm going to say meditation was effective. Um, certainly makes your performance improve. All of those things are documented if you read the research. There's actually Fortune 500 companies that have meditation spaces in their offices so that their employees uh, can join the meditation because they're more productive. So I thought, sure, we'll try it. And I, I'm going to say that the, the first day was actually very comforting, relaxing. Two things happened. We're all getting bombarded with electronic stuff all day long. Radios, phones, TVs, computers. Spending 30 minutes before the patients came in made me relax. I turned off all the things, at least had a chance to quiet my mind. And then I did feel better when I went down the hall to see the patients. First day was relaxing. Second day, everybody was saying, we saw some colors and we were seeing things and the third day I had an experience. And the third day, right afterwards, I'm still questioning what I see and the patients are coming in and we're lining them down the hall and I jump up and I have to run into Carla's room and I say, Carla, this is the strangest thing. I was talking to your mother. Now her mother and I had never met. She had died of a brain tumor. 17 or 18, 18 years, years before, before that. Um, but this woman was jovial, laughing, and kept showing me a shoe. And so I told Carla that. 
And that meant something to me. My mother was a ballroom dancer. I went to the computer and I Googled ballroom dancing shoes. And I said, which one? And 60 or 70 pair appeared on the screen. And Dave went over and picked the exact shoe my mother wore. Uh, you know, back in those days, the shoes were satin. It was a, a low heeled pump, open toe, and they were satin. And she would re-dye them all the time for different ball or dances and balls she was going to. And she wore those shoes for church or dress up or ballroom dancing. So, you know, for him to get that right out of all of those, I knew that something, you know, there was something to this. Then my sister, who was actually working at the office at the same time, went in the back and brought up a picture of my mother from her wallet. And she showed it to Dave and she said, is this who you were talking to? And Dave got real emotional. And he said, yes, it was. And he said it was a spiritual feeling and, you know, never meeting her before. Of course, I'm thinking to myself, it's my mother. Why is she talking to you? I'm meditating too. So anyway. When that happens. Yeah. yeah why do those things? But I got to give you the history. Carla and I were both raised Catholic. So I didn't think this was something normal or possible but I, I i went with it that day you know i'm i'm then running down the hall and starting to see patients things are wheeling in my head but i'm like i have to do the doctor thing and play my role and i'm down the hall and we just wanted to stop and meditate the heck with the patients we're like lunch could get here fast enough let's do it again let's see if we can find my mom that's what she kept saying you know <laughs> so um that was the, the first little moment we kept meditating and then there was a day when I had this strange memory now it was a memory from 1962 and I was three years old in this life and I remember getting in a car in Nebraska because I was from Nebraska driving this blue sedan all the way across the country with my father who was going back to graduate school under the GI Bill went to Boston he went to graduate school in Boston, but once that summer, I went to the beach in Boston. And when we went to the beach, I remember running on the sand. I looked up and I could see the Ferris wheel and a, and a um, roller coaster and souvenir shops lined up along the, the edge. And I was running on the sand. And suddenly, this little girl yelled at me. And she said, be quiet, you're bothering my family. And I looked at her and she ran over and she pushed me down, sat on my chest, actually gave me a kiss on the forehead, jumped up. She put both hands on her hips. She looked at me and she was scowling with this little two-piece blue ruffled bathing suit. And I told Carla this, this memory or this thing I remember and I said three-year-olds can't remember things but I would have had to be three and in the background he heard a woman say to him to me Carla that's not how little ladies behave so when he told me this my sister and I both first of all we were asking him when were you in Boston we've worked with you for 20 years and you never mentioned being in Boston I remembered that day specifically I was much older I was four but I was the youngest of five girls. And that day, you know, being the good Catholic family, my parents were always splitting up and getting back together. That day they were together and we didn't own a car. We weren't well off. Daddy rented two cabs and we all went down to Revere Beach. Now Revere Beach has an amusement park with it or did at the time. It wasn't just sand and water. But when we got there, for whatever reason, I didn't have my bathing suit. 
So we all went across the street and I got my first brand new two-piece blue ruffled bathing suit. My parents couldn't afford it, but I was without one. That moment was etched in my mind. I never got new clothes. I wore all of my sisters. So we looked at each other like, what the heck does this mean? Wow. Yeah. How had we met in Boston? She was from Boston. I was from Nebraska. How had we met there 36 years before I ever bought the practice and didn't wow. know it until 20 years after I'd been in the practice and we're, we're just dumbfounded. And then we kept meditating and there became a day when another woman came to me and she kind of reminded me of Carla. She told me her name was Isabella. She said she had been my spirit guide for over 6,000 years. And I'm like, what? And again, the Catholic upbringing, I'm like, this is so strange to me. But she said, you've had many lives and I've been through all of them. And we found out that I had had 42. Carla had had 34 lives when by the time we were done with all of our the things that we journaled before we wrote our book. And we had found 29 past lives together. Wow. And the first one that happened to us is really the one that set us on trying to find them all and trying to find out what this meant. Because there was a day I'm sitting, meditating, and suddenly I see myself and I'm standing in a dark alley. And I look across the dark alley and there's Carla. Now, I'm going to say it's Carla. It doesn't look exactly like Carla. This is where I say I was much younger, thinner, and prettier, dressed like a flapper. Yes. <laughs> but she was standing in the alley, and I saw two large flashes, and I heard a bang go off twice, and I realized I was shot. Oh. And I am fall to the ground, and I'm dying in this dark alley. The next day, so I told her about it. The next day, I'm meditating, and I get more of the story. And it's before I was shot. And I'm in a little car driving across Chicago, stopping in front of Ashland Auditorium, running up the steps of Ashland Auditorium to go to the wedding of a man named Angelo, who I know is a business person who comes to the bank where I work as a junior banker. I know it's January 10th, 1925. And as I'm sitting in this makeshift wedding place with 3,000 other people. Up front walks the wedding singer. And it's the woman I saw in the alley. Oh, wow. And she sings and it's beautiful. And I want to meet her so bad I find her at the reception. And I continue to pester even though she keeps trying to make me go away. And finally she dances with me once and agrees to go to breakfast with me the next morning. And she agrees to meet me at Marino's restaurant. At Marino's, we have breakfast. We take a walk along the Chicago coastline. She tells me her name is Ruby Donaldson. Her mother and father's name are James and Anna, and they're from Bullock, Georgia. And she's moved to Chicago to become a dressmaker and a singer. Wow. She works for the man named Angelo at his speakeasy called 
DeAndres. I have all sorts of facts and I tell Carla this story. So I, I thought it wasn't that long ago. I should be able to find some corroborating information. So I got onto Ancestry.com and I did indeed find Ruby Donaldson, born in 1904 in Bullock, Georgia, to James and Anna Donaldson, one wow. of 11 um, children. Then I found um, old newspapers from um, Chicago. Um, I found the wedding of Angelo Jenna to Lucille Spinola, January the 10th, 1925 at Ashland Auditorium. Um, there were over 3,000 people in this makeshift church because Angelo Jenna was the head mobster before Al Capone, and there was not a church large enough to accommodate all his mobster friends. Um, there was a picture of the cake uh, because they were serving all of these people, and it was, you know, over 10 feet tall, so that was a picture in itself in the newspaper. So I called Dave and I said, well, you're not crazy. I found corroborating information. What you're giving me, I found it's actually there. So of course, what we want to do? Meditate, meditate, meditate. And so we continued to until we found all of these lives set out. Now, during the time we're finding all of these lives, Isabella keeps coming in and giving us little pieces of things. And our book is called The Gift of Past Lives with Mother Isabella God and Elizabeth, because actually, First, I met Carla's mother. Then I met Isabella. Then there was a day when Carla asked me, well, who is God? And I have this overwhelming sense of love and, and comfort come over me. And I started to cry. And I heard, I am. Mm. And then we finally met Elizabeth, who was Carla's spirit guide. And they both took us on a journey and learning everything we could about reincarnation. Now, the story of Ruby and JJ continue. And I think this was probably the moment that took Carla completely to the spot where she knew some of this was true. I came back with some more memories. And one day I said, you've got to sit down. And I started to tell her the story, more of what happened with Ruby and JJ. And as I was talking, I literally felt as if I became J.J. Wright, the character, that I was in that memory. And I'm talking straight to Carla, but it's as if I'm talking to Ruby herself. And as I start telling her the conversation, Carla starts to finish all the sentences. It was a very, very strange feeling because we were both married to other people and Ruby and JJ as written in the gift of past lives, their entire stories in there, they're star-crossed lovers and they have a hot, passionate affair. And these feelings surfaced in the middle of the office. And we're like, Oh boy, we both went our separate directions and I didn't talk to him the rest of the day. Yeah. And he finally came in and he said, Carla, I'm not a stupid man. I know what you're doing. You're avoiding me. And I'm like, well, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of, it was, it was very strange. And, but we did after many um, times meditating, get the complete story um, and 29 of our past lives. And that's all interesting. It's all very entertaining. But what Isabella said is it's not just about fun. It's about learning your lessons. She said, I'll break it down and make it easy for you. We'll break it down to the five simple rules for living. 
If you live a life without conceit, jealousy, selfishness, and unforgiveness, and every choice and everything you do is out of compassion and love, you will get off the karmic wheel. Once you've learned those things and you have walked in everybody else's shoes by reincarnating in different ways, in different situations, you understand what other people are going through. Everything is relevant. It's not all about you. It's about everybody. We're all, you know, a soul family. We're all interconnected. Dave and I are connected very closely um, in the soul family. That's why we've come back many times, 29 lives, not always as love interests. I've been his mother twice. I've been his neighbor, his sister, his schoolmate, uh, because you learn many lessons through that. So if we can remember to be compassionate and do everything out of love, we grow. We are released from the bondage of karma, which is not punishment. It's actually potential to be to become better. It's another chance to do things uh, in a positive way rather than a negative way. And because we have all of these lives mapped out and we started with just a big board and kept putting stickers up and trying to figure out how to, to keep track of them, we started to see lots of patterns and Isabella would start to try to explain some of them. Um, some of the patterns were, were really interesting. We found that we were Viking in a life, landing on Scottish soil. The next life we were Scottish fighting the English. The next life we were English fighting the Scottish. Sometimes in the same or the near same war, because we actually were on the both sides of the opposite war. Both, both times thinking we're correct. And, and learning that there's really no winner and nobody's right and nobody's wrong. And we're all saints and sinners. We've been naughty and we've been good. We've been black, we've been white. With Some people have been male and female. It's not the case with us. Um, some people have been, we have been slaves and slave owners. Um, we have been on all sides because how else do you learn compassion unless you were put in somebody else's shoes? And one of the, one of those, five simple rules is forgiveness, um, which is really interesting because there's actually one life where Carla poisons, poisons mm -hmm. me. So it's just- To death. <laughs> so it's, you know, there's some interesting parts and, and twists everywhere. And I was his wife at that point. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so there's, a, there's a, a lot to learn in this because until you live both sides, you really can't understand what somebody else is going through. And that's really part of the lessons of all this. And Isabella has continued to tell us the lessons are related to how we grow, learn, and how God really gives you more than one chance. It's not do or die. It's not do or die. It's not one chance and off to hell you go. Because you have to grow and learn and you can't do that always in one life. And what parent just gives their chance, their their child one chance and says, that's it, going to hell, I'm done with you. So in order to reconcile, you know, in our first book, it was fun putting in the 20 stories about our past lives. And at the end of, of each one of those stories, we gave the reason why we came back another time. Hmm. Well, then after that book, and because that book impacted my relationship with my family, um, all but one sister, they have nothing to do with me because they think I went over the edge. Um, we decided that we would reconcile what we were taught growing up with 
what we now believed is the truth about reincarnation. And that was when we decided to write the second book, Hell No Reincarnation. So in that, we did a lot of research about um, churches and, and where their thoughts come from, what's factual, what's not, which is, you know, it, it's out there. You can research it if you choose to. We added seven more of our past life stories, again, with the lesson at the end. Why did we come back again? Um, there's several spots in there where we quoted places in the Bible where, um, you know, it can be refuted. Um, it sounds like they're talking about reincarnation in those spots in the Bible, even though we know that um, a, lot of the, a lot of that has been removed from the Bible because it's easier to control somebody if they think they have one chance and they're out. And the other thing, if you even look at the overall story of the Bible, you'll start to see God makes a covenant with Adam and Eve, then makes a covenant with Abraham, then Noah, then Moses, then King David, and then we have Jesus. The covenants occur over and over again. And what happens in between? The Jewish people fail. And never once does God say, well, you failed, you're going to hell. And if you look at even the book of Leviticus, the book of Leviticus was really originally written in Aramaic, and the word they used was kata. That kata was the word that's now been translated into sin. The word kata means failed to reach your goal. Does that sound like sin? <laughs> or what happens normally when you don't reach your goal? You either set a new goal or you try harder. That's really the lesson that's that's in, in the Bible. It's God has never forsaken you no matter how bad you have been. God has given, you know, the Old Testament is really, how do you get yourself clean again? Because the spirit of God, you are the temple of God. What's Jesus's message? God is within you. You are the temple of God. Get your soul, get your mind, body, and soul in the right page and be cleansed. Right. And that becomes the story that most of the Bible really is around. And then you start to talk about um, oh, I've lost that train. But you start. Oh, then then you start to talk about early history too of the church, and you realize in 200 A.D. Origin of Alexandria. He was of Jewish descent, was one of the early Christian or Catholic writers. He wrote most of the doctrine that occurs in 200 A.D. And his doctrine. Transmigration of the soul is a normal part of this. It was, a, it was always a Jewish doctrine, still is, um, even though it's kept sort of on the fringe. He wrote transmigration of the soul was normal, that all souls existed before and would exist after life. Again, sounding a lot like some of the story that we hear of reincarnation. And then you, we started to look at how it got written out and then, and in fact, in 400 AD, 200 years after Origen died, he was officially excommunicated from the church, even though he wrote all the early for church doctrine, because transmigration of the soul meant people got more than one chance. If you got one more than one chance, how do you control the people? Yeah. Mm -hmm. We kept starting to keep looking, and then we found 
a lot of research done at the University of Virginia Department of Perceptual Studies on reincarnation that had been going on for almost 50 years. And there are multiple things written by Ian Stevenson, um, Jim Tucker, on their reincarnation research. And they have now about 2,500 cases of children. And the reason they studied children is three and four-year-olds, again, don't have time to be coached, don't understand coaching, can't lie the same way. They can make up stories. But when they would say they had memories, usually it would be a parent who would contact them and say, he keeps talking about his wife or when I was his wife, or when, when he was shot in a previous life. And so they started to visit some of those kids and they would also test those kids. So if they said I was married to Jane in my previous life and they could find a picture of Jane and that lived in the next town and they put a picture of Jane and five other women or four other women, they would show the kids. Or if he said, I had a dog in that life, they would find a picture of the dog and show him pictures of five different dogs. And these kids were getting 87, 88% of the answers correct at three years old when they can't be coached. And so when, when they found those people, they started looking at their patterns, just like we had been when we were looking at our, our patterns. And some of our, my memories included some time between lives. And so they started looking at the kids and about 20% of the kids remembered what it was like when they were waiting to come back. And they, they, they found a pattern. And the pattern was most of them saw something that was like a tunnel when they died. They saw beings of light. They fought, saw family members who had passed before. They remembered meeting with people who helped them plan their next life. And they felt an overwhelming sense of being encompassed by love and warmth and comfort. Mm -hmm. I want you to, th to think of those things because I've experienced them all. 20% of those kids experienced that. And if you look at people who have near-death experiences, what's their experience? They go through a past life review. They feel going through a tunnel. They feel like they passed over loved ones and they have beings of light or God or Jesus or Muhammad or someone who comes to them and helps them plan their next lives. Hmm. And most of them are told in near-death experiences that they don't have any choice, but they have to come back because they're not done. Those experiences were the experiences that Carla and I had, that those 2,500 kids that they've documented have, that most of the near-death experience people have. And that means that something exists before this life that is part of your essence. If, if we use the religious word, we use the word soul. If we use the science word, we now use the word consciousness. And some form of consciousness or your soul exists before this life, during this life, continues when you're no longer connected to this life and returns with you in your next. Oh, and then we, we actually, because we've gone through all this, 
we went to the Omega Institute and trained with Dr. Brian Weiss, who was a psychiatrist. And he's written a few books on reincarnation also. Dr. Weiss back in the 70s took a couple of people that came through as patients back to early childhood, trying to look for their problem and see if it was their childhood problem. And by accident, they went before this life as he was taking them back to childhood. They passed their death and went to their last life. And he found two patients in his practice that both had the same memory of the same life before this one. And they had been lovers in that life. And he finally arranged for them to run into each other in the elevator. And they started to speak like they had been friends forever. The other thing we started to research is that we found that during past life regression, during meditation, during the time between wake and sleep when people have dreams and other things like this, your, your brain actually has an increase in alpha and theta waves, which occur when you have memory. And so all of the pieces were connecting. Hmm. And when you see all the pieces connect, the science side does, and then you start looking at some of the other things, the, the science of, of consciousness and subconsciousness, and you realize in your subconscious, we save every experience as a positive and negative experience. And it actually adds up. And we actually try to avoid those things that, that add up as negative. And they become protective for the future. And I'll give you a little example. One of the examples is the first time you touch something that's hot, it burns you a little and you pull back. The second time you touch it, you pull back faster. And the third time you try not to touch it at all. Mm. And those are some of the lessons that past lives will bring you. Things that you should avoid. In one past life, I should avoid dark alleys with flappers because you get shot and you get killed. <laughs> Again, there's this, that's a story in the first book. And what's interesting is that um, I have been regressed a couple of times, well, more than a couple of times, but, no, but yeah. the first time I had it, I had a regression. Um, the girl, the therapist chose to take me down a staircase. Well, it wigged me out completely mm -hmm. because I have two lives where I fell to my death on staircases. Oh, wow. And I didn't put two and two together until after we trained with Dr. Weiss. Another time Dave was regressing me. And again, he took me down a staircase and I finally did the math. And I said, you know, this doesn't work because in our past life, we were in Chicago again. We were brother and sister. I was six. He was four. My name was Katie. His name was Johnny. It was Christmas Eve. We were playing on a three story staircase in our home. Our mother was wrapping presents on Christmas Eve. We were playing and fell to our death. We both we both broke our necks. Wow. So if a therapist tries to take me down a staircase, it's just not a good thing. You know, it doesn't sit right. And as the first therapist, as soon as she took me, um, she put me into a train car and Ruby actually went by train from Atlanta, Georgia to Chicago. That's where she took me. I went right back to Ruby in that train. So, wow. you know, if you're having um, past life regression therapy, Hopefully you're not doing it just to find out who you were. You're doing it because you have an issue that you need to fix. Something that 
um, can be solved because often that's the case. You can solve a problem or behavior that you're carrying with you life after life and you need to get yourself out of it. Yeah, I've had my own kind of experience with something, an, an unusual phobia that showed up <laughs> in my late 30s where I instantly had phobia of forests. I never had any problem with trees or forest, but as I tried to figure that out, I, even here's the crazy thing, even seeing like uh, oil paintings of forests would just totally send me into really? a panic. And it wasn't until I started to do the meditation myself where I had been killed in a forest ah. and it was around that age, but mm. I'll tell you leading up to it. And here's the, the, and I, one of the things that I wanted to ask you now that I was meditating, my husband was not, but as I started to meditate and get information on that, he started almost like you two almost finishing the sentences. There you go. And mm -hmm. the story behind my uh, phobia in the forest was that we were both Templar Knights. We're brothers. Uh. And he, even though he, you know, I didn't tell him anything when I started to talk about it, he instantly remembered. So it's and, there. Yep. And yep. what had happened is, we and what even got even more interesting is we were at a birthday party and I started to tell there was a psychic medium there. Part of the story, we got interrupted. She went to go talk to him, totally forgot to come back to me. He finished the story. Ah, so well, it kind of like just had this also. continuum. And here's where it's really kind of blew our mind. She was the barmaid at that time. That's why the three of us all plugged in and we were able to have that experience. And mm -hmm. what had happened is my husband and I were brothers, Templar Knights. He yeah. ended up staying to flirt with her. I went off in the forest by myself and somebody ambushed me. Oh. Yeah. And I took a sword right through my, my um, armor. And when wow. he came to find me, he found me dead with the sword and I was leaning on it in the forest. So do you have a, a, a birthmark or any issues in that area with anything? You know, it's, I don't. Um, and that was one of the things that I thought about, you know, looking for, because usually there's the, the physical manifestation in there. But yes. once I reconciled what had happened, with this event, my phobia forest just evaporated. And that's the beauty of past life regression therapy. If it's done properly, and if you're doing it for the right reasons, it is helpful to a lot of people. And that's what Dr. Brian Weiss was doing. Um, and he didn't even realize that he actually had been in the lifetime where these two patients had been. Wow. You know, he was yeah. Jewish. And they were telling him that he was in a life with, with Jesus during Jesus's time with them. He didn't even yeah. realize it. My, my friend, Marilyn and I um, are, are connected through a Jesus 
timeline too. And that would, that happened with one of my past life um, meditations. I was actually, it was, everything kind of showed up accidentally. I was trying to connect to my mom. Uh, in my books, I, I talk about, you know, after the death of my mother, I really kind of started to search a little bit harder and faster. Okay. And in my meditation, I was trying to connect with, say, my mother, my grandmother. And next thing I knew, I was in this cottage with this long wood table with Roman soldiers. Okay. And there is one who was sitting and he was apparently a Caesar. And then the gentleman next to him was my uncle. And they had shared uh, the, the Caesar, whatever the emperor had told me that he says, I'm very proud of you, son. And I was like, I think I entered into the wrong room because clearly I was not male, but they had explained that I was next in line to be the general and my uncle, who was the general there, and he had a, a natural colored plume, which I did not know that the, the natural colored plume and the Roman helmet is a general. The red ones that you see are, are the regular ranking soldiers. And they basically told me that I, all I had to do was kill Jesus and please the Roman empire. And when I met him, I was like taken back because, you know, he's defenseless. You know, what kind of, what kind of Roman soldier kill, you know, you want somebody to fight back or, and, and, and Jesus didn't fight back. And for me, I couldn't do that. I couldn't kill Jesus for the sake of it, something had, you know, transformed in me in that moment. And I was beheaded and disgraced the family, um, the Roman family and, and the empire by not doing that. And so these two came back to said, we were proud of you, even though, you know, we didn't show it in that life. You were disgraced. You embarrassed the family. You could have had the whole empire to yourself and you chose to dishonor, you know, everything for, you know, a, a basically a fugitive troublemaker, no nothing in their eyes. But in my past life, they says, no, we, we're proud of you. You made the right decision. Good for you. Yeah. Victoria, I this is a fourth book that we wrote, the one Herhuba and His Rose. Ah, we, it just, is. we just found our connection with you. We always find a connection with our host. Yes. Nice. And so Herhuba and His Rose is a story that is written by Isabella, my spirit guide, directly from front to back. All the rest of them we worked and worked and tried to pull pieces in. And, Except for sentence structure and clerical things. Yeah, but she, yeah. she wrote Herhuba and His Rose. It's about an itinerant preacher during the second temple period in Jerusalem. Mm. We are not the, the main, main characters. characters in this story. It's a love story, but it's a story of a love of a people, a love of a couple, love of the people for their God. But and, we do have a life there. Yep. And so we're, we're, in, we're in the story we're in, intertwined in this story, but her Huben is Rose. I'll say, cause there are people who, don't like it when I say this. Um, 
this story very closely parallels the life of Jesus. Mm. And it's a very interesting story. It's filled with lots of small lessons. Um, a lot of love. A lot of love, a lot of spiritual lessons. But it's, it, it's a story that people should read just to get a perspective on the time. Wow. So that's our fourth book, which really it doesn't have anything to do with reincarnation except <laughs> Except for what happened to have a life then. Yes. Wow. So we that life to an entire book. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, that well, you is. Can read it and tell us who you think we are in the story. Yeah. I may just do that. Uh -huh. I just may do that. I'll we don't put tell you on my Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but that's very interesting. So we're, we probably passed. Uh, or rubbed elbows in that past too. Yes, <laughs> um, I'm, sure I'm sure there is certainly some scenes there. There's certainly interaction with with the uh, guards, and they were people from Cyprus that were working under the Roman government as part of the control over over Jerusalem. And the Hebrews Israel. referred to them as kittims because they considered them invaders. Oh, the wow. Romans were bringing um, bringing them in from Cyprus to help because you know how the Roman Empire had expanded so, so quickly. quickly. They didn't have you know enough soldiers. Yes, yes, and I'll tell you, I, I, I in the time in that era, I was a proud, arrogant Roman. <laughs> yes, and well. I, I never had such a a connection to a city in my life when I landed in Rome. I just was so like, I was home. And when the tour group moved to the next city, I was just heartbroken. I mean, I was just crying. crying. I did not want to leave my beloved Rome, the Roman Empire. So. What's interesting is how we're drawn to different people and different things in different places. Um, for years, I've taken vacations in different spots and never realized why I was choosing those spots. But in fact, I now know I was choosing to go to return to places that I had past lives. Bermuda, I was a slave. Italy, we have three lives in Italy. Um, mm -hmm. Scotland, England, um, South Dakota. Spain. Uh, yes. Uh, North, um, Bermuda. Yeah. North yeah. Carolina. Um, and it's amazing until we found all this out, it all started to make sense. And I understood the draw, just as if when you meet a person and you're either drawn to them or you're turned off by them and meet, you know, and you don't understand why, but that's because we do travel in those soul groups. And we usually come back for one of two reasons, to help somebody as a family mate or to test somebody as a karmic mate. Wow. So chances are, if you meet them and you're turned off by them, you know, you have karma together that you have to work through. So try and figure it out. Yeah, I was very drawn to New Mexico. You know, I was born and raised in California, Southern, out just outside of Los Angeles in the San Fernando Valley. And once a year, we would take a train from Glendale all the way to Pittsburgh to go visit in-laws. And I'll tell you, New Mexico, it was, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Oh. <laughs> on the way there and then on the way back, it was like, are we there yet? Are we, you know, are we are we almost in New Mexico? So, and 
before I actually moved here, I had two other opportunities that I didn't jump on. But as you see, it eventually will have its way. Yeah, it will have its way. Do you have any idea? Did you get um, download any more information to yourself on what you were, who you were? Uh, I suspect that I was part of the Native Rebellion. Okay. Because when I first moved here, the transition was not, I, I thought, well, I think I made a mistake. This, there, and people who've lived in New Mexico, who've moved here, they, they don't stay here too long. There is a very powerful energy here that you have to reckon with. And I moved here in 2007. And it wasn't until literally 2019, and I had a moment up at uh, the Coronado Historic Site. I was on the Pueblo with uh, my my in-laws. I had never been there. Uh, you know, I wasn't really interested um, about looking at anything. I don't know why, but something didn't venture me out unless I had company, and then I'd go check out some of the tourist spots. And when I did this, and I looked from the Coronado historic spot over the Rio Grande and into the Sandia range, I was totally immersed into 1000 AD. I had totally lost all, I was no longer in, in, the, in the present. And in that moment, I felt like, I am now feeling like I am in the right place. Dave had an experience like that in England. He was standing in a museum and he saw the statue of a uh, Egyptian God, Mm -hmm. not God, but Pharaoh. And all of a sudden he flipped back and there he was because Dave had been a stone cutter Mm -hmm. and he could hear the the clang, clang, clang. And he was there chipping away. I can remember chiseling the bust I was looking at. Yeah. Yes. Those kind of experiences are are very life-changing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because yes. you know that you just you, know. You just know. Yeah, you just know. And, and you start to realize that our current life is just a moment. You know, we complain that we're suffering but the reality is if we suffer with any adversity, it really just makes us stronger. And that's probably the point. And that we're going through all of these lives getting stronger. And that the moment you're suffering right now is so infinitesimally small compared to the, the vastness of your life's experiences. And you continue on and on until you get to some point where you're going to return back as the spark of love in, in which you were created by God. Victoria, isn't it interesting that you found yourself as a soldier, um, which is kind of rebellious, and then again as a native kind of rebellious, and now you're in this business in the paranormal. What does that mean? Not normal, kind of rebellious. <laughs> it is carrying with you. You have that thread through all of your lives. That's fantastic. So in some way, you're trying to tell the people this, the, the way you're living is not exactly right. Make some yeah. better choices. Exactly. Make some better choices. 
Yes. And that brings up another one of my, um, I guess, memories. When I came down on this life, I was kind of a little bit like reluctant. And I remember people going, you have to go, you have to go. And I was holding on, I'm like back down a tunnel. So you have the tunnel up and then you have, this was like yes. a downward tunnel, like a slide. Yeah. And uh, these people were like, no, you have to go. You have to go. Um, you know, they're, they're waiting for you. And I'm like, I'm not going back down there. I'm like, no, 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 no. So my early memories were me reluctant, but it wasn't until a couple of instances where the people that I, who I was holding onto, I actually saw them in the same, like I found them. They were on a plane with me to Hawaii, you know, Absolutely. <laughs> that's one of them. And then yeah. back in, when I first moved to New Mexico, I kept hearing this reoccurring just over and over. You're here for reconnaissance. You're here for reconnaissance. And, you know, if you're not in a war, <laughs> the heck does that mean? Well, yeah. people well, will war yeah. with themselves. And yes, you got it. Yes. Yeah, so that's what that was. So trying to bring awakening and the awareness of, you know, you may not be, your life may be fake. You're not living an authentic life. Um, you're, you're living it in a way that's going to cause you harm, other people harm. You're going to have to come back to the place, you know? You um, I definitely remember. feel like this is my, this is my final duty. Well, yeah. you need to remember every time you meet somebody that maybe in a past life, they were very, very important to you, even though yeah. they seem insignificant or you don't care for them. We have a new neighbor that just moved in. And after we walked away from talking to her, I said to Dave, I see her in all gold, like she's a queen or a princess or something. And, you know, I haven't put her into the right place yet, but I'll find it. Um, yes. but yeah. it's amazing because she could have been very important to me in that life. And, and the woman that lived there before her has been my sister in a past life. She's been my neighbor. So, you know, we just keep coming together to help everybody. Um, and that part is beautiful as long as we remember it and we go along with it. Yes. So, I mean, the moral to the story is love, compassion, growth, appreciation, and, you know, try to get people to awaken to themselves. And yes. there's something bigger than, than just you, right? Yes. <laughs> We're all connected. And you, and you know better than anybody, unless you're John Grisham, um, writers don't make money from books. No. We no. write our books to help people, to get the word out to there, to get out. the truth out there. And that's the only reason, because unless you're already famous, it doesn't matter. Mm. We're truly doing it to help people, just like right. you. Right. And that's kind of with me. I mean, I didn't write my memoirs to be a bestseller. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's to share, an just to share, you know, if, if you, if you help one person that radiates out because they don't live in an Island. It's that's right. Keeps going. Correct. We always call it the ripple effect. Yes. Just make yes. one more person better and they are going to make somebody else's life. Exactly. Better. Exactly. Trickle down as Isabella says it. Yes. Mm -hmm. I, I, I totally wholeheartedly believe that. And when I coach people for writing, I said, don't worry. Um, 
about being the bestseller. It's, it's getting the story out. It's, it's not called leap into your best selling story. It's called <laughs> leap into your story, your yes. personal story, you know, that can help not only you, cause you know, there is a, a cathartic feeling when you are telling your story, yes. um, but also it's reinforced by sharing it with other people who say, Oh, that really helped me. Yes. Wow. So true. So I think we've covered a lot of ground I and mean, then we got um, our, some of um, what I was curious about and, uh, you know, reincarnation and, you know, how do you reconcile that with the Bible and the Catholic upbringing? So I do have one more question as we get ready to wrap it up. Where can our listeners find more about you? <laughs> well, certainly, certainly if you go to Amazon, you can look up any of our books and they're all available there. You can order them at Barnes and Noble and many other outlets. We do have a website. The website is thegiftofpastlives.com. They can actually contact us directly if they go to the spot that says contact us. And we do respond to all those emails. And our books are all available right on that website. Yeah. All right. Well, very good. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, to have you and, want to thank you both for sharing those just amazing insights to reincarnation today. And I want to thank all of my listeners for tuning in to the Leap Into Your Story podcast, where you discover your inner story, work through the process, and meet others who've done it so you can be guided to your journey to write your story. Remember to visit our website at leapintoyourstory.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're there, subscribe and like us via your favorite social media network. We are looking forward to seeing you next time here on the Leap Into the Story podcast. Thank you for tuning into the Leap Into Your Story podcast, where you discover your inner story, break down the process, and meet others who've done it so you can leap into your own story. Remember to visit our website at leapintoyourstory.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're there, subscribe and like to us via your favorite social media network. We're looking forward to seeing you next time on the Leap Into Your Story podcast. <laughs>